Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a look at Arizona's growing wine industry. Arizona is home to a burgeoning wine industry. About 1,500 acres of grapes have been planted in the state, a number that tripled between 2012 and 2019. The state now produces more than 3 million bottles of wine a year, adding about $60 million in direct economic impact with another $30 million in wine-related tourism. Much of the business is done in the state's three recognized American viticulture areas, Sonoida, Wilcox, where most of the grapes are grown, and the Verde Valley, where much of the winemaking and wine tourism takes place. To learn more about the industry, we headed down to Railroad Avenue in downtown Wilcox. The area is home to a number of tasting rooms for local wineries. Our first stop, the tasting room for Strive Vineyards. That's where we met co-founder Desiree Girth. I started our conversation by asking how she and her husband found their way from Madison, Wisconsin to Wilcox, Arizona. So we had moved here right after college. Uh, we were both Badgers from Wisconsin. And Ryan's sister came down here, went to college. We came to visit for spring break and just fell in love with the weather. We thought, why are we doing nine months of winter? We're out of here. Um, so I started down here right after doing grad school, actually, at ASU, and then became a special needs teacher in downtown Phoenix. And Ryan was working as a pharmacist and still is. Um, and then on the side, as a hobby, one year, we just thought actually 11, 11, 11 was our very first batch. We went down to a little homebrew store, got one of those little winemaking kits and made it in our house, back bedroom, and it turned out horrible. It was totally undrinkable. <laughs> and so we thought, well, how could we do this better? Him being the chemist, like, we, let's scale up. We, there's something we're missing here. So we go to the next level and, you know, we're doing different additives. And then we find out about there's wine around here in Arizona. Um, but we learned after visiting all the tasting rooms around the state that most people were getting their grapes from Wilcox. And that's when we met Jim and Ruth Graham from Golden Rule Vineyards at a festival. And they said, oh yeah, come on out. You guys can pick some grapes for your home winemaking from our place. And once we did that, it was no stopping from there. It was just scaling up and up and up until we decided let's plant a vineyard of our own down in Wilcox. And for the first couple of years, we were going back and forth. We just had the house and clear land. Um, and so Ryan and I decided, let's put in our own vineyard on this vacant land. So we got someone to drill the well. We put in all of our own irrigation. We're doing down in the trenches. We're doing, putting up fencing, putting up our own solar panels. Um, and that's how our name Strive came to be with all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. And here we are now. So that's a big scale up from your back bedroom wine kit to commercial vineyard and not in a lot of years. No. Yeah, strive. <laughs> and a couple of kids along the way, yes. Because... Three girls, six and under. Yeah, why not? You, you Nothing yes. else going on trying to start a business. <laughs> so, so why not start a family on top of it? Right. And I guess they're probably a little young to be working for the business, but someday... They think they can help, you know, and they're actually out in the vineyard. They're the perfect height for pruning. They're right on that cord online. <laughs> you mentioned your husband's a pharmacist. D does that knowledge come in handy, the chemistry part of it, or d does that not help at all? It does, and it 
uh, it was helpful when him and I were making wine together. He, since transitioned, he loves the vineyard. So he does the vineyard operations, oversees everything, of course. So he's actually in the pharmacy usually uh, two, three, four days a week for really long 13, 14 hour shifts so that he can spend all the rest of his time out in the vineyard. Let's do, just for our listeners in case they don't know, we've talked about vineyards and wineries. What's the difference? Right, so I sort of see them as three separate businesses. We've got the farming aspect, which is the vineyard, super hard manual labor, uh, nothing glamorous about it. You're out there in the dirt in the fields and it's hot, it's cold, it's dirty <laughs> and fun. <laughs> and then we go into the winery aspect and once again, more hard labor. Um, working with the grapes, you've got harvest coming in between the end of July and sort of mid, late October for some of the varietals. And then with that comes the bottling, the labeling, the blending, all of those things. And then the third leg is the tasting room, the retail side. So we've got merchandise, we've got how do we make a wine club, do we go out to festivals, people coming in for the tasting room experience and tours out at the vineyard, all those things to get the wine out to the people. So if he's out in the vineyard, you're in the winery, are you, are you the one who's actually deciding this is the blend we want, or do you have other people who are doing that? That's me. The ultimate decision, I guess, comes down to us, but we work as a team. So we're partnered with Birds and Barrels. Chad and I are the winemakers for our individual brands, and then we also have about 11 other clients from around the state that we custom crush for. And often with Custom Crush, it's a little bit of our grapes that we share with them, but mostly grapes they're bringing from their own vineyard. So that terroir difference is really, I mean, there's no mistaking. Is that what makes Arizona wine different than California wine, which everybody knows? Absolutely. Or, or different from anywhere else in the world. I mean, you should be able to taste the place. That's how you know you're doing it right. It's sort of like you've been given this gift and you're just trying to turn it into wine and try not to screw it up. It's, <laughs> it's meant to be something beautiful. So you all, the tasting room right here in Wilcox, couple of tasting rooms within arm's length almost, it seems. Uh, we can look out the door and I can see at least three more. Um, here, Wilcox is, is not a big metropolis, certainly not Phoenix, certainly not Tucson. Um, you know, it's much smaller, but when you look at, as you mentioned, up in the Verde Valley, Cottonwood started out this way. Now old Cottonwood is thriving with lots of taste rooms. Is that what you're hoping to see happen outside? Absolutely, yes. So we try and work together with the hotels, the Airbnbs around town, even restaurants and sort of community events to make sure we're offering things that are gonna draw people to come on down, even if it's for the day or the weekend from Tucson, from Phoenix, from all around the state. Um, but it really is just a hidden gem. And we sort of see Wilcox like Napa was about 50 years ago. You know, we're, we're on the frontier at this point. You mentioned when you were putting in the vines, drilling wells. When it comes to water, always a big issue here in Arizona. How do grapes compare to other agricultural products? So a lot of people don't realize that grapes do love that struggle. They really don't require much water. And if you look at all of the other crops grown, they're really lowest on the totem pole for the amount of water they draw. So you all made your first uh, backroom wine about 12 years ago. 
what do you see as the growth potential, not only for Strive, but for the wine industry as a whole? Is it topping out in Arizona or is there more growth coming? There's definitely more growth coming and coming fast. If you just look at how many wineries there were in Arizona five, ten years ago, it's I think five times as many now. We've gone from like maybe 15 in the 90s to now we're like 125. So it's been quite a huge jump and I think that it's just launching from here. When it comes to wine, certain regions are known for certain types. For example, Bordeaux in France is known for Bordeaux. What's this area known for or what are you guys good at? So Bordeaux and Rhone varietals grow really well around the Chiricahuas here on the Kansas Settlement Bench in Wilcox. Um, we really focus on Bordeaux varietals for Strive specifically. Um, and Cabernet Franc is kind of our flagship wine. There's no other Cabernet Franc in the state that tastes like what comes out of Wilcox. It's delicious and one of our gold medal winners. All right, well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. That was Desiree Gerth, co-founder of Strive Vineyards. Thanks to meet you. Have a good one. As we wrapped up our interview with Desiree, our next guest walked in the door. How many you want for this? You know. I was just wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking no, about backups. Yeah, yeah. Chad Preston and his wife co-founded Birds and Barrels Vineyard in 2015. Along with their nearby vineyard, they also have a tasting room in downtown Wilcox. So we started our conversation as we took the walk from Strive's tasting room to theirs. While we're wandering, I, uh, I, I think the easiest place to start is, you know, we're in Wilcox. A lot of people may not know this as a wine area, but gosh, on this short stretch of street, I can see three or more tasting rooms. Tell me a little bit about all of this. There's two wine trails down here uh, in Wilcox, and it's the downtown, which you see the taste rooms here, where uh, you have uh, Copper Horse, uh, Strive, and Golden Roll, and then we have Keeling Schaefer, which I believe his has been around the longest. And that's kind of what, how I got introduced to Wilcox Wine, and is my wife and I were exploring down here, and I'm like, hey, there's a, there's a taste room, let's go check it out. And, and the Rex Allen Museum as we walk under course, uh, in the, the middle music, of it all. Right, right. <laughs> and then we have Eridus across the street here. And then uh, Carlson Creek used to be right over here until they opened up their tasting room at their vineyard. And of course they have a tasting room in Scottsdale. And then uh, we're down here at the end and it was never in our business model to open up a second tasting room less than 20 miles from each other, but we have one at the vineyard uh, out at Kansas Settlement, which most of the grapes are grown, and then one here downtown. So the space became uh, available and uh, it's all about location. And I, I looked at them like it's got the best location in all Wilcox, I, in my opinion. Uh, my youngest daughter, Megan, who helps us at the winery and then she runs this tasting room great people person and showcases the wine real well and we keep different wines at different locations. And this was the headquarters saloon. Yes. In the from eight, the 1890s until 1940. I apologize. I'm going to have to use the other door. Awesome. Welcome. So this is our Railroad Avenue tasting room and uh, it's a nice little location. It's been around for over 100 years in different formats. Obviously not a taste room, but I think a bar at one time, and you saw one of the Earp brothers was killed right out here in front. And uh, I think we've transformed it pretty good. 
What is it that's, that's attracting wineries to Wilcox? You don't necessarily think of, well, Southern Arizona as a whole, really Arizona as wine country, but mm -hmm. you know, as we said, as we were walking down here, we could see four tasting rooms right here, and then you've got most of the vineyards here. Being raised in Mesa, Arizona, I mean, we'd always go north for the summers, you know, up to Heber or, or Sholo or something like that, thinking that's where we would flee out of the heat, not knowing anything about southern Arizona. And being that I went to ASU, we'd never, you know, there's nothing nothing past Tucson. Just nothing south of the land, Gila, right? right yeah. But uh, it wasn't until uh, uh, my wife and I, our policy was we'd do so many date nights a month, and if we missed too many date nights, we'd do a weekend away, and somebody had mentioned Arizona wine, and we were like both Arizona wine, but we didn't even know there was such a thing. And the at the time, I was an amateur winemaker. I I'd gotten out of the military, and then uh, we said, well, we're going to have to go check that out. And everybody had talked about Sonoida and, and Patagonia and Elgin. So we started down there and asking the different uh, winemakers and vineyard owners, Oh my gosh, how long have you been here? What's your story? Are all these Arizona grapes? A lot of them said, uh, yeah, we have some grapes here, but most of the grapes we get are from Wilcox. And I have never even heard of Wilcox. So we're like, well, we're gonna have to go explore that. And then just looking at the beauty and it was nothing like we expected. I mean, this isn't even desert down here, it's high prairie. So it's kind of what uh, gave us the idea is, like, Let's sell everything in Mesa, move down here, and, and start growing grapes. How long ago was that? That was 2015. So you guys have been in this for a while. For a little bit, yeah. Yeah, we planted, uh, bought the property uh, back in 2015, which was originally a horse barn. It was, you know, dirt floors downstairs, and we looked at it and said this could be a winery someday, and started clearing 50 acres of mesquite and rattlesnakes and rocks, and planted our first block of 3,000 grapes in 2016. Uh, there weren't a lot of white wines being grown. And so the goal was, obviously we're not gonna use all these white wines because about 80% of the people drink red wine, but the folks that we know and we work with don't have white wine. So the idea was, hey, we can supply some of these white wines to people that don't have them on their tasting menus. You said something interesting that Des also mentioned, that working together. Mm -hmm. Everybody's growing their own. Everybody's obviously trying to turn a profit, but it really sounds like competition is not the order of the day. No, not competition with each other, but with ourselves. So what we're trying to do is create a, the highly, highest quality product that we can possibly make, okay, and not compete with other people. I mean, we're very supportive when we understand a rising tide raises all ships. And so if somebody needs help or support, uh, everybody's, at least our communities, is more willing to offer it. And they did that to us, Birds and Barrels, when we first came here because we have a unique growing season down here where most other viticulture areas in the world, they have dry growing seasons, dry summers, which... You know, in Arizona, the majority of our rain comes right during verasion. So here you have wet, hot fruit. What can go wrong? You mentioned our wet summers here, mm -hmm. the monsoon, which we all wait for with bated breath, at least up in Tucson. And mm -hmm. so you know all the stories about there's less and less water. This is a growing agriculture industry. How do grapes do, you know, especially with long-term drought that we see in Arizona and dwindling water supply? Well, luckily, uh, 
you know, grapes don't require a lot of water. There's zero groundwater overdraft from having a vineyard and watering grapes. So whatever rainfall we have, which is between 12 and 16 inches, that more than replenishes what we take out of the ground. When it comes to wine made in the U.S., everybody talks about California. Mm -hmm. There are enough vineyards down here making wines that are winning awards. Is Arizona going to get itself on the wine map? I do believe so. And we're, we're seeing more vineyard owners and winemakers from other places like Temecula, Sonoma, Napa, uh, Russian River Valley. They're coming here because they're hearing the buzz. And uh, people are also coming here because they're like, this is kind of what Napa was 40 and 50 years ago. Not that we're comparing ourselves to that because we're Wilcox, Arizona, and our foundation is the history that's down here. And then the, I'd say the founding fathers of Arizona wine that put it all on the limb, like, I don't know how this is going to work, but let's give it a shot. And, and we're seeing a lot of that cut, cutting edge kind of stuff down here still because you know, it's like you don't know if a certain varietal is going to do well until you plant it. And you're only good as the information and the people that you surround yourself with. So when somebody says, Zinfandel should do really good down here, and it doesn't, it's very difficult. But you have to try it. You just have to go out on a limb. So when it comes to Wilcox, kind of bringing back around to where we started on this, mm -hmm. we've seen cottonwood grow up around a little bit of a wine industry. Do you see it growing around some of these tasting rooms that, that are clustering together now? I absolutely do. Uh, the great thing that we have down here is people are, it's coming in its own. We do have accessible water. It's not terribly deep. Yeah, we have pressure with water being used by, you know, big ag out here, but because we don't use as much, uh, I don't feel like, you know, we're, we're looking at something catastrophic. You can grow grapes in different areas in Arizona, but it's, it's water, it's elevation, it's slope, it's soil, it's terroir, weather. All this is what makes you know, a good place for uh, wine grapes to grow. You mentioned the water and big commercial agriculture, mm -hmm. obviously not what we're talking about with you all. On the ballot in November was the active management area question. Mm -hmm it failed. Is there eventually going to be a water conflict here? I, I think we all agree there needs to be a regulation, but the AMA, the way they wanted to vote it in, would grandfather all the big ag users in. I'm not going to mention any names, but the 100 sections with, uh, you know, running two crops a year, they would be unaffected entirely because, well, they're already established. Only thing it would really do is prohibit any new high value crop, you know, like vineyards, because we can take, you know, two or three thousand dollar a ton grapes and turn that potentially into eighteen or twenty thousand dollars and and bring in more jobs. It would just squelch the growth for that. So I think everybody's on the same page. And I've had active conversations with that with people that are pro AMA. And I'm like, you know, this is this is where we need to relearn tolerance and start having dialogue with people instead of just, if you don't believe what I believe, you know, go away from me. I think something has to be done. It's just people getting together and, and figuring out what the, what the best thing is to be done. Uh, it's gonna hurt somebody. I mean, when you say, hey, you're not gonna be able to do two crops a year, it's gonna hurt them. So they're gonna have to figure out how to subsidize the, their crops. But I think collectively as, you know, an area and as a group, we need to come up with a plan and implement it. 
All right. Well, thanks for the, the tour of the tasting room and chatting with us. Absolutely. Thanks for coming out. That was Chad Preston, co-founder of Birds and Barrels Vineyard in Wilcox. As we heard in our last two interviews, learning how to make wine can often be a bumpy road with lots of lessons along the way. But Yavapai College is hoping to smooth that road out for those looking to get into the wine industry. Its Southwest Wine Center, located in Clarkdale, offers certificates and an associate's degree in viticulture and enology. Program chair Michael Pierce helps teach students the basics of growing grapes and producing wine through classes and hands-on experience. I began our conversation by asking him how the state's wine industry got its start. Well, it started in the late 70s. Um, U of A soil scientist Dr. Gordon Dutt helped um, some table grape farmers understand some issues they were having in Yuma, and he wanted to study wine grapes. So he got a grant and uh, made a first planting in Tucson. You know, he didn't have a real frame of reference on what would work and what didn't work. Uh, learned a few things, uh, knew he wanted a higher elevation and a cooler climate, so he found Sonoida. Uh, not long after that, there were some growers in Wilcox that started. Uh, another agricultural community, good climate, uh, good soil, water availability, right? You need the, the, the climate, you need the dirt, and you need the water, and we have all of that. The Verde Valley happened a little bit later uh, in the 90s. Um, However, what has transitioned now, all three of those regions are established. Um, most of the wine production happens up in the Verde Valley, and also a lot of the wine tourism happens up in the Verde Valley. However, most of the wine grapes are grown down in Southern Arizona. Then um, there's a variety of reasons. Uh, land price is part of that. Uh, the climate's great. My family has a vineyard down there in Wilcox, and we have our, our winery up here in Clarkdale. Um, there are some other places that are trying, some pioneers that are trying some other, actually some of our graduates over West County, Yavapai County, in the Chino Valley, uh, north of Prescott, there's a few, um, south and east of Prescott, over in the Dewey and the Humboldt area, there's some people growing grapes. Um, Kingman, we have some of our graduates over there. It's no longer a question to me about Arizona wine grapes. I think we've answered that question a long time ago. In doing a little bit of research, we couldn't find any other programs like yours run by a state university or college in Arizona. So are you all the only place to go in the state if you want to get a degree and really learn about, in an academic setting, the winemaking industry? Yep. That's why we've called it the Southwest Wine Center. Um, so we cater to students at a distance. It's not just here in Yavapai County. We've developed a program to help those students who um, maybe live in Phoenix, Tucson, or further, or in some cases out of, out of the state. We have students right now who are coming from Las Vegas. Uh, quick side note, all of our students are adults. So people think college, they think you know 19 to 21 year olds. Our average age of student is 49. So these are adults who have other careers and have been turned on to wine at some point in their life. And now they're taking that next step to educate themselves. And because of the age and the demographics, they also have other things going on in their lives. So we have catered our program um, to support. So online classes, we're doing weekend labs where they'll come here for three days and get an intensive you know, weekend time, uh, either in the vineyard or in the winery. And then we, we've used Zoom. And so when the pandemic hit, we were already ready to kind of transition that way. Um, 
However, we have 13 acres on campus and we have a full production wine facility. So we re really want to leverage the time there because um, there's no substitute for experience when it comes to winemaking. So if we can get the students with that frame of, of reference, that some of that theory, um, it helps them just build that experience over time. Um, and that didn't exist. When my dad and I wanted to go to school, we ended up having to go to Washington State because the Southwest Wine Center wasn't here. Um, Yavapai College started offering classes in 2009. Um, we had our full associate's degree program going um, by 2012. So that's both viticulture, which is the science of growing grapes, and then enology, which is uh, the study of wine and winemaking. What is it that you think is drawing older students to this as opposed to the more traditional student who couldn't even legally drink the wine, uh, most of them if they were the younger, more traditional students? Well, somebody turned them on to wine, and there's different avenues to get into this. Um, myself, I got into it because I like making things. I mean, literally, I just like making the wine, and I like creating things. I was brewing beer, and I like baking bread, and it was just another thing to create and make. Um, there's plenty of folks who got into it through kind of the restaurant hospitality and they learn about the world of wines and they want to you know experience all those things that exist outside in the world and that's an avenue for it we have people who like working with the earth and growing things and it's like they are attracted to the vineyard side of things um, so regardless of what your background is the wine industry is so diverse that you can probably leverage it in some way to find a spot in the wine industry and so my students, as they go through the program, they, they see all of those options and they, they find spots that kind of speak to them where they want to be in the industry. Um, so somebody turned them on. And also, though, I, I think a lot of them have, have worked another career. Ho hopefully they love that career, but they have a dream of their fun job and the wine world you know, re revolves around their, their fun job revolves around that wine world. Looking kind of at the bigger picture of Arizona, what is it that sets our designated American viticulture areas, those AVAs, apart from everything else? What is it that makes Arizona wine? Uh, high elevation is probably the, the quickest answer. So, you know, as soon as the sun goes down in the desert, it gets cold. It goes from being warm to, you know, get your jacket. That helps us. So it helps hardy the grapes. It helps develop some of the color and the phenolics that are in the skins that create the character that we like. Um, so high elevation is, is really a big part of it. Now, wine grapes like the dry climate. Um, they don't like to have their feet wet, meaning their roots need to have good drainage. They don't like to have their canopies in a real muggy, uh, high humidity zone. So we really have the climate that is great for for grapes. And then we've got that high elevation, which creates those big temperature swings, which creates the, the character that makes the wine taste as it does. It sounds like overall uh, Arizona's wine industry is on the upswing. Um, we're hearing about award-winning wines from wineries, more people, you know, coming into your program. It, it all sounds like signs are pointing up. Yeah, come and visit us. I think uh, there's some spots that are the best kept secret. And every year, it seems like that secret's getting out. Um, they're in beautiful areas of the state. Um, Sonoida, Wilcox, and the Verde Valley are some of the, you know, just great spots to go visit. Um, and they're nice day trips from, you know, Phoenix or Tucson. 
Um, so I think it's just going to become a more important part of all of what's going on here in Arizona. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. That was Michael Pierce, Viticulture and Enology Director at Yavapai College's Southwest Wine Institute. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.